Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains extremes of volume, rage and joy. In the 12th century, in southern Germany, wandering young student priests, probably, compiled a big book of songs, of poetry and music, the Codex Burana, which we have come to know as, in Latin, Carmina Burana, and in music, this. Used in countless films, TV programs, YouTube videos, My Little Pony mashups, and adverts, it's one of the most famous things there is. But as with so many famous things, that's only the famous two minutes. And actually, Carmina Burana by Carl Orff lasts an hour, and it's pretty much all as good as that. In this episode, we're going to listen to the opening chunk, almost half, which covers springtime and burgeoning passions. The other two sections, are in the tavern and the court of love, and we'll come back and do those another time. In Carmina Burana, Karl Orff sets 25 medieval poems that rocked up as part of a bound volume in a German monastery in the early 1800s, some of which had been set to rudimentary music. But in 1936, when Orff wrote his version, the musicologists hadn't yet deciphered them. Orff, though, was a bit of an expert in 17th century music, he was instrumental in bringing Monteverdi's music back to life. Music like this. And I think that influence shows in Carmina Burana. It's kind of connected in its sound world. There's little in the way of musical development, not much kind of harmonic argument and development. Orff gives us lots of straight repetition. The orchestration for the verses of the poems stays the same each time. He's using that insistence in the catchy tunes to work its magic. And the music is full-throated and heartfelt. Orff was also really influenced by the great 20th century composer Stravinsky. And in this work, scored for huge choir, includes kids and soloists and large orchestra there's a massive percussion section with all the usual stuff plus two pianos celeste which is a keyboard instrument that plays bells and multiple glockenspiels xylophones the bells and gongs he wants to get the very fullest range of colors available after the famous opening comes a song linked to the title page of the original 12th 13th century book singing of having been crowned and flourishing, happy. But now another person is raised up as king and sits far too high up at the summit, and there's hope that they might fear ruin too. Once cruel fate is out of the way, there are three numbers that herald the arrival of spring. Winter is vanquished, there's colour and harmony emerging everywhere. It's warmth from the sun, much glory and rejoicing.
My mum had Carmina Burana on the shelves when I was a kid, and I loved it. I think these opening numbers show why. There's masses of power and energy. It's raw and immediate. Visceral. Because Orff often repeats verses two or three times, you get to know how the piece goes really quickly too. That means it really sticks in your head. And the horns and trumpets and percussion around the edges are hugely exciting. People often ask what a conductor does, and obviously one part of the job, especially in a piece as big as this, is just to keep everything together. But two of the most important things concern balance and pacing. And pacing doesn't just mean speed. Orff litters Carmina Burana with pauses. But how long should each one be? If you stop too often for breath in a piece like this that's filled with short numbers and pauses between each verse of each number, you end up with something that begins to sound bitty and becomes a bit dull. As a listener, you become aware of the repetition in a bad way. The conductor has to maintain a sense of line to keep things moving, to give a sense of urgency. And then there's balance. What do you want to hear? What instruments are important? What notes are important? And right now, my ear is drawn to some of the more quiet special things. The unusualness of the percussive pianos. The low horns pretending to be gongs. Accompanied by gongs. This string chord that dives in under the solo singer's line. So often it's the loud stuff that's easy, but the quiet things that separate a really good performance from a great one. In the middle of this spring section comes an instrumental dance number that's full of shifting rhythms. It's in combinations of five, six and seven beats in a bar. And then there are three more songs where springtime is making folks feel a bit frisky. There's one pining for a lost lover, maidens shopping for cheek colour to help in their seductions, and a third song where a guy is longing for any one of those maidens to join him. The springtime section finishes with a short and snappy number that declares if all the world were mine from the sea to the Rhine, I would do without that if only the Queen of England would lie in my arms. So I love all this, I think it's great. Let's have a listen. Click on the links below for the music. In that famous opening, and indeed eventually closing number, O Fortuna, O Fortune, Empress of the Universe, you are ever changing like the moon. This is all about the cyclic nature of fate and the wheel of fortune. But it's obviously turning too slowly. Here all is woe and rage. Fate strikes down the strong man. Everyone weep with me. If you like this, hate it or are moved by it in any way, please leave me a comment, give us a like, share and subscribe to the podcast, come back for more next time. But now, cruel fortune. Thanks for listening.